Last week, the words of Jesus. Does anyone remember what we talked about? Raise your hand. Don't shout it out. Anyone remember? I know it was so impactful. Thank you. It is more blessed to than receive. And we weren't trying to talk about money. We were trying to talk about our heart. And money is just a symptom of where we are, we're at, right? So um, keep that in mind if you want to hear that. That's on the website. But it is so true. We are just called to be a channel with all the things that God has given us, especially spiritual things, and let them flow through us to those around us. And truly, there is much more happiness and joy in being a giver like Jesus than a taker. Amen? Only if I could have done it in those three sentences, we would have all had a wonderful afternoon. Went a little longer. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 5 today. We did the Beatitudes a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago. But I do want to cover the rest of the red, but not all of it. Maybe in a little bit different of a way today. Matthew chapter 5. There's a lot of red in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If your Bible does that, a lot of words of Jesus. But before we get going, I want to teach you something that you already know. Okay? I really think this is important for you to know today. It was about a month ago, I had the task of cutting the grass at the cottage. I'll say two months ago. And it was the first time the lawnmower had been out. And my good friend, Earl, was there doing a little bit of work. And I got the lawnmower out. And I was getting a little tired before I even started because I couldn't get it started. What happened, it's one of those self-propelled. So you pull down one thing, you pull up the other. And usually, on the first pull, it's a beauty. But after about the 10th pull, in my lack of fitness state, I became very tired. So knowing that Earl knows a lot about things, and I know a little, especially mechanical things, I said, Earl, can you come over here? And so I was getting ready to cut that lawn, and he looked at me, and he says, do you, I, I forget his words, but something, do you know anything about lawnmowers? Or, I thought I did. And he points to the spark plug. And what happened with the spark plug is the little plug-in, the rubber piece with the metal in it, right, had detached from the spark plug, so it wasn't receiving what it needed to fire up the engine. If Earl wasn't there, I would still be pulling the cord on the lawnmower today. Why do I tell you that story? I want to tell you a really important lesson about studying the Bible. You cannot take a wire or a spark plug out of an engine and have it be useful for anything. I could have brought in a spark plug today, and I should have, but if I had a spark plug and I wanted to cut the grass with it, how successful do you think I would be? I wouldn't. It would be pretty funny, right? Like, it wouldn't work unless I had a razor blade on it, but still, it would take forever. 
Oftentimes with scripture, we are busy taking verses out of the engine of the context of the truth of the whole word of God. So what happens is we take something out and we try to apply it or understand it, but we have to know the context of the engine that it's in. An example, you cannot truly understand the Old Testament without the New Testament. Agreed? You cannot have the whole engine or the whole story of looking for Jesus, the foundation built in the Old Testament, without the truth of Jesus coming, dying, and rising again. Do you all agree with that? So if you were left just with that, you would have an incomplete engine. You would have a spark plug, but it doesn't have its complete value within the whole truth of God's word. Now, what happens is we attach ourselves to certain verses or we try to do certain chapters without the context of the whole, and we are not very effective. Why do I tell you that lesson today? Really, the words of Jesus are very powerful, but they become even more effective with the truth of the rest of the truth of the New Testament. So doesn't it help when Paul sheds some light on Jesus' words. Doesn't it help more when we understand what he said in the context of how he was saying it and then our eyes open even greater? I want to encourage you. You should be in some way trying to eat up the whole book and not just parts of the book. Because we love our little parts. Again, we do, right? Now, for example, I say that because Matthew 5 is an impossibility without understanding the whole context of what Jesus is saying in the truth of what Jesus did and what Paul said who Jesus was. Does everyone understand that? Has anyone encountered that battle where someone's quoting something totally out of context And sometimes maybe if it's reinforced somewhere else in scripture is okay, but it can just cause great confusion. Amen? So read, 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 read it all. Read it all. Read it all. I would encourage you, don't like, I'm going to open my Bible today and where it lands is what I'll read. Oh, preface. Oh, no, just joking. Index. No, systematically read through God's word. Amen? I don't care how fast you go. You can be a fast reader and do five chapters a day. You might want to meditate on it slowly and do half a chapter a day. It doesn't matter, right? But just systematically get all the truth within you, and it will make greater sense, and you will have a greater ability to understand it. Now, I felt that's really important because I thought today, I can't really teach you what, I can't teach you I can't teach you what I want to teach you today. Only God can teach you. Do you hear me? I can't explain this truly until you experience it fully. I can give you words, but it will mean nothing to you until you grasp it in your heart. And Friday, I was thinking about this and walking, and the truth, I'm going to just, just, God just 
reminded me again, and it was one of those experiences where I was on a walk and I was thinking about it, and I had so much joy and peace, I can't even describe it to you. There's no way I can teach it to you. But when those principles come back flooding my mind, I'm telling you, there is nothing like experiencing the truth of Jesus Christ. My week started thinking, or a couple weeks ago, looking at Matthew 5 and some of these things, and actually quoting it in emails to people saying, listen, this is a great idea of what you need to do. You need to do. You need to do. You need to do. But I've learned you can't do Matthew 5. Who thinks they're the, the, the most holiest person in this room? Everyone's going to be like, not me. <laughs> but if we think we really got it, I guarantee you, if I made a checklist today, you'd bomb on some of these points. Because we can't do it. Uh, I could say, listen, you know, have you ever hated? Have you ever lusted? Have you ever thought inappropriately? Have you ever had your yes not be yes and no not be no? Have you ever, when someone asked you for something, thought, no, I'm not going to do that? This is hard business. Do you understand that? Just look at the first section, and maybe I'll try and explain what God was showing me. Do not think, verse 17, that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This is Jesus speaking. For assuredly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, one jot nor one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. If I just read that verse, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Verse 20. What about you? Does your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? And you might say, well, mine does. My righteousness does exceed that. Then let's read on and get, get a little guilty. <laughs> because then it's not the external things. But then it's the internal things Jesus turns to. But basically he's saying here that our external righteousness needs to exceed the Pharisees. And just to understand the Pharisees externally, they were so careful externally to count like little bits of tithe, of mint and cumin, like little tiny things. Oh, I gave the right thing. Oh, I did the right thing. Ever, everything externally is okay. Now, obviously, internally, it's a total mess for the Pharisees, right? He says, you're whitewashed tombs. You're disgusting. But he's pointing to their external behavior and that it was pretty good. And he says, unless it exceeds that, you can't go to heaven. 
And right there, I feel guilty on the words of Jesus. And then he takes it a step further, and we know these things, and you can read them, and I'm not going to get into all of them, but he says very clearly, he takes it beyond external behavior to internal behavior. If you've hated, if you've lusted, he goes beyond even the person doing externally wrong. Because, you know, this gets me even worse. Because my heart is wicked sometimes. You think, Pastor Dan's holy. Don't come into my thought life sometimes. Right? I get angry. I get upset. Right? And so you read this and you're convicted. And then he goes and says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Oh, no. Now, forget about lust. What about covetousness? What about wanting something you don't have? Anything your eye would do that would cause you to sin, he's saying, figuratively, you got to get rid of anything that's causing you to stumble. Actually, in the Greek, the word's not sin. But it's anything, like, if your eye is continually causing you to go down a path you don't want to go, you got to get rid of it, right? That's a hard word. If your right hand causes you to sin... Cut it off, figuratively, he's saying, not literally. By the way, there's been people in history who have cut off their arms, eyes, legs. Oh, I got to do this. I, I can't. I'm not. I'm not. They, they, they don't understand. But the reality is, this is hard. It goes on to talk about oaths and marriage. And then you've heard it said in verse 38. An eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if any wants, anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And whoever wants to borrow, don't turn him away. You've heard it said that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So I say, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For you've loved those who love you, what reward Will you have? Do you not even know the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what you do more what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. In verse 48, after all this difficulty and what we should do, he says this therefore you shall be perfect, just as your heavenly father is perfect. Basically, be perfect like God is perfect. And I'm reading this, and I'm studying this all week, and I'm like, how can I encourage people to love their enemies? How can I encourage them not to lust? How can I encourage them not to lie? This is what Jesus says. This is what we should do. Let's go out and do it. But I came to the conclusion, as I told you before, we can't do it. We can't do it. Amen? Jesus. Be perfect. You know, when I was young and zealous in my 20s, I had a day timer. I think people think that's funny because I forget appointments, but I actually had a day timer. 
Yes. And it had black leather with my initials on it. DCS. And I was so zealous, I cut out, maybe I told you this before, I cut out an advertisement from Lexus. Does anyone know what their motto is? Or it was, I don't know what it is now. Does anyone know what it was? What? The pursuit of perfection. The relentless, and I, in my zealous 20s, living for Jesus, I slapped that baby on the inside of my day timer, and I said, that's the way I'm going to live. The relentless pursuit of perfection based on Matthew 5 and 48. And read it and weep, and I'll read it every day, and weep I did. <laughs> Do you know that? Because the harder I tried, the more I failed. Because it is not about my ability to do Matthew chapter 5. I want to tell you something here, and this is the problem. Can we understand this or be reminded today? You do not do Matthew 5. Listen to me, my beloved brothers and sisters. You are Matthew 5. You don't do it. That's who you are. What do I mean? We'll never exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. But as I told you before with the Beatitudes, and as the rest of Scripture would tell us, because Jesus died and rose again, when you believe in him and trust him as Lord of your life, you become righteous. This is very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness, his perfection. So in our pursuit of perfection, the reality is we weep because it's based in our own effort. But the, the truth of scripture is, as you believe in Jesus Christ, you are righteous because he lives in you and he was perfect. Oh, I know, Pastor Dan. Do you? Do you know or are you striving to be what you never can be? I guess I'll put it like this. Why strive when the reality is you already are righteous? Let's get a little clarity on this from the rest of scripture and Maybe this will help us to understand. Philippians chapter 3, if you'll turn there with me. And Paul, who was probably the closest in some ways to keeping this scripture, even said so in math, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3. I'll start in verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things I've counted loss 
for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. I love how Paul puts it here. He was more disciplined. He was more right in so much of his behavior according to the law than any of us could be. But yet, it meant nothing. Truth came to him as he came to know Christ. When he came into a relationship with Christ, everything changed. And as he would say over and over in the epistles, he became right with God. He became righteous. Actually, because Jesus lived in him, his righteousness exceeded that of the Pharisees. Because when God looks at you, he sees perfection. Because he sees Jesus who lives in you. Now, (laughs) I struggle with this because I fail. How about you? You ever blow it? And you're like, how can you see me as righteous, God? I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I want you to know he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus who lives in you. He sees the righteousness of Christ because your sin was dealt with past, present, and future on the cross. And what happens is this. If we can learn to understand truly who we are in Christ, all these things in Matthew 5 become a part of who we are. Let me give you an example. You're struggling with sin. You know Christ lives in you. Do you want to play with that sin anymore? No, there's something that says, I'll throw out my computer. I'll throw out that junk. I'll figuratively cast out my eye, my arm. I don't care. Because Jesus lives in you. And by the way, he's given you a great gift. It's the power of his Holy Spirit. When he left, it's better that he came because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that's the spirit of Christ. And Christ conquered all sin. And that sin has no chance because if Christ rules and reigns in you, he has power over that sin. But you're so busy fighting that sin and living Matthew 5 that you fail. And you don't understand if you just submit and receive Christ who's in you, he has all power to defeat that sin. So we're a church that's running around trying to beat sin. You've got no chance. Until you surrender and receive and understand, not only in your head, but your heart, that Jesus rules and reigns. And then you say, I don't even want that. Goodbye. Take my eye. Take my foot. Take my computer. Take my phone. Take my shoes if I'm an athlete. Take my job. You know what? Jesus reigns in me. And I'm sure you've all heard it before. And that's why I say, God, I can't teach this. But if you've experienced it, you'll never forget it. Maybe you come here and you're tired of fighting. And you're striving. 
And like me, you have the relentless pursuit of perfection. And it goes well for a couple weeks. And then you get really discouraged. And then you get upset. And then you get anxious. And then you throw in the towel. And then you medicate. And Jesus wants you to know today, listen, the more you strive, the more you'll fail. The more you receive and understand. And as Paul would say, have a knowledge in your heart. Know him experientially. Your life will change. So Dan on his walk is walking around and thinking, why do I do that? And God says to me, Dan, I live in you. And then I start thinking, wow, I've even preached that. Lots. And I've had that experience. But once again, the power of realizing that the living God is in you and sin has no chance. If you will surrender to Him and just say, Lord, and then I can bless my enemy. You can't do it on your own. I can bless my enemy. I can say, Lord, bless you. I love you. Because Jesus does it in me. It's not me, it's him in me, and he's doing it. It's his Holy Spirit, it's his strength, it's his power. But you can't do it up here. It's not a mental exercise. It's knowing the truth and descending it to your heart and receiving that love, being overcome by that love, and you will do anything for Jesus because he does it through you. This is scripture. This is what he's saying. You can't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. I don't care who you are or how disciplined you are. It's Christ in you that conquers. And that is the practical realm of sanctification. Sanctification isn't me becoming more holy. It's Christ getting more of me every day. That's sanctification. I grew up in a church, sanctification, and I listened to all the tapes, and it was all about me and my effort and my ability, and I got nowhere but frustrated. But when I've come to realize, God, I want more of you. I'm submitted to you. Take all of me. I want you to rule and reign. You are in me. I know truth. Man, it's almost like breathing. You start to do the right thing without even trying. Where are you at today? This is what Jesus is saying. Be what you are. Be righteous because you are righteous. Let Jesus take control. So you say, it works for me. I go to pray. And prayer sometimes can be Dan work time. What did you do today? That's my kids saying, well, I prayed. <laughs> Took a little nap, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> Yeah, I worked hard, I prayed. And I wrote out to Team 20, the prayer team. I was like, man, this week I'm so refreshed because I felt the Lord say to me, I don't want you to pray for anyone. The first half an hour in the prayer room or your walk, don't pray for anyone. What? That's what I get paid to do. I'm the master prayer. What do you mean I'm not supposed to pray for anyone? Not even yourself. What? And I just felt the Lord so clearly say to me, I just want you to think of Jesus that first half an hour. A piece of cake, right? First two minutes. Jesus. Oh, I think Caleb's in Asia right now, Lord. 
I think he needs my, oh, yeah, whoops, sorry. <laughs> Back to Jesus. Then another child. Then another situation. And for the first 10 minutes, I'm fighting constantly, thinking about all of these things I'm supposed to be praying for and all of these concerns. You ever been there? And God keeps bringing me back to Jesus. Jesus, just think about Jesus. Well, what do I think about Jesus? What did Jesus say? Okay, I'll think about what Jesus said. I can do that. I know my Bible. All right, so I got all these verses going through my head. Then I think of him on the cross. Then I'm just living. Then I think of him in me. And then I think that he's beautiful. And I'm beautiful because he lives in me. And then I think he was the picture of joy because the Holy Spirit was complete in him. And then I think I have that joy. And then I think of his love and how much he loves me. And then I'm thinking about Jesus. And maybe occasionally Amy slipped in there because I wanted to pray for her. No, I can't pray for you, honey, now. Okay, I'm thinking about Jesus. Because my mind is like... It was like I had to stop. And then I started thinking about myself and my failures. And God says, no, you're thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about Jesus. You're thinking that you're forgiven because that's what he did because that's who he is. You're thinking about his perfection and that righteousness lives in you. I actually made it to half an hour with a lot of fighting and failure. But I finished. And can I tell you something? I felt so free. I felt so rich. I felt so peaceful. I felt so full. Because that's Christ in me. And it wasn't my effort. And you know, the next half an hour when I prayed for people, you know how easy it was? But you know what my prayer was? Show them Jesus. Jesus, be real to them. Jesus, you're the only one who can meet them. It's not my prayers. It's not my ability. I'm just here to release your power upon them. Because if they look at you, they will find hope and strength. Because it's only Christ in me and in them that changes anything. And it just was so, can I tell you this, so, so refreshing. You are a new creation in Christ because Christ lives in you. You have all power, access to everything because the Holy Spirit is in you. And then the rest of the week, people say to me, I can't beat this sin, it's so difficult. And I'm like, oh, no, you can't, but Christ in you can. I can't do it, Pastor Shilke, what do I do? Yeah, you can. Because Christ, the most powerful being ever, 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 is in you. And you have access to all he has if you will receive and submit. Because the Lord Jesus Christ dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Have you ever truly experienced that beyond your noggin and into your heart? And if you have, you need to experience again. I've been a Christian, I don't know when, I, I don't know. I said the sinner's prayer 30 times at camp. I think every year I said it five times. I was a good evangelist. I said it every night. I don't know when I got saved. But my life has been a progression of me learning that it's all about him in me. And I hate to say it, but my 20s weren't so great, even though externally they looked wonderful. My 30s, you learn you're quite a bit more of a failure, and the zeal kind of fades away. And in the 40s, and I still got the 50s and 60s to go, 
I'm learning, man, I just want Jesus to take control of me more and more because he's the only one who can produce love and joy and peace. His kingdom is here and now because he's the king and he lives on the throne of your life. I'm not waiting for heaven for what I have now is amazing because Christ lives in me. <sighs> Sitting on my bed last night, going over my notes, Gabriel comes and sits down. Dad, what are you going to preach about? Well, Gabe, let me tell you, sit down. I looked at him or looked out in air, I don't know. I said, Gabe, I don't know how to teach this. I think I've taught it a hundred times, but I don't know if it impacted anyone. I said, here's my dilemma. How do I truly teach people that Jesus lives in them? So in all his wisdom said, you can't. He said, you can't, Dad. He said, only the Holy Spirit can do that. So you better pray, boy. Truly, it's the only the Holy Spirit that can teach and reveal this truth deep within your heart. And I believe no preacher can. But if you will seek him and just say, God, reveal your truth to me in my heart that you live in me and you dominate me and you control me. If the Holy Spirit does that, We'll be different people, amen? Last thing, there's three types of people the Bible talks about. The natural man, the carnal man, meaning Christian, carnal Christian, spiritual Christian. Natural man, carnal Christian, 1 Corinthians 3, right? And spiritual Christian, the one who produces fruit, right? The natural man who is the one who just lives in sin and cares less about Christ. So he's driven by his flesh, right? The carnal Christian is one who strives in his own ability to do the things of God. And that's why it creates division, because that elevates people, right? The spiritual one is the one who knows Christ lives in them and has truly, continually understand that, and their life produces a hundredfold. What are you today? And I'd like to tell you that I'm always the spiritual man. But the reality is, I flip-flop sometimes with my striving and the carnal thing. And God says, come away and enjoy me and be with me and rest in me. I will do it. I've done it. And I've given you my spirit, and you are not the same. That's what we want to be. But unfortunately, so I think we flip-flop in that carnal, spiritual, both Christians, by the way, but one produces fruit and one doesn't. Let's allow Jesus to truly reign. Let's receive the truth of Scripture this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace. 
I don't know what to do, God. I, I don't know. I'm a preacher without words, and that's rare, I think. So let's just in silence. Like, usually we do this after communion. Now we have silence. I want to have silence now. I want you simply to ask God, Lord, maybe you know this and experienced it, but maybe you need to hear it again. I don't know. I just, Holy Spirit, in this time of silence, would you speak to us? And would you please embed into our hearts the truth that you live in us as we believe in you? Would you show us that you love us? Would you show us that we're beautiful because Christ is beautiful in us? Would you show us that we have all power? Lord, I don't, Holy Spirit, just speak to each person individually exactly where they're at, exactly what they need to hear. God, because you do a better job than I ever could of speaking truth. So let's just have a moment of silence now. Please don't get up. Just quietness. Let's let God speak to you through the power of his Holy Spirit in the truth that we've talked about.